Hello and welcome to the Forums podcast for Monday the 13th of August. And joining me in this edition, Steve Withers. Don't doubt yourself, son. Doubt kills. Ed Selly. Change your world. And Mark Buttright. My real name's Alina. Hello, Alina. Right, we're back. It's podcast time. Um, what have you been up to, Ed? Um, well, as I was explaining to you before the podcast started, I have been hurrying back from Bedfordshire to actually do the podcast. I got confused as the days. So I woke up. Um, with not that much time to the podcast starting, uh, some way distant from my house. But so, I sorted that. That's fine. So was um, that dirty stopovers, basically what you're saying? Yeah. Um, it was It was like Breakback Mountain, but more erotic. Did, and, you, did, you, um, have to, did you have to do the walk of shame? Or? Uh, well, no, I parked my car outside, um, so it was all right. But no, uh, that was fine. Um, I have been busying my itself with various bits of, uh, of audio work and that's all been jolly exciting and um yeah although I, I further to last week's podcast didn't make it to the tank museum uh my son was... on monday so the week after this podcast goes up i'm going to bobbington well we, we will see what happens this weekend coming but i um we my son was a bit ill on the friday so we were delayed getting down uh we did end up going to the museum of army flying which had a small armored anti-aircraft vehicle outside so i, I took a nostalgic photo of that on Instagram, because um, uh, I was since re- there you go. There's your tank museum. Now we're off. <laughs> I actually remember those at uh, the Amiga game Gunship 2000, which was actually a cracking, cracking helicopter sim game. And those things were a right pain in the ass because they were proper deadly if you encountered one of them. So yeah, it was it was nice to nostalgically see one of those. It's great when you get nostalgic for things that you first encountered in video games. I would agree, but if your childhood was so depressed, so so traumatic that you encountered one strutting its stuff in real life, I don't think you'd probably want to see one again. So no, I think point. computer games is probably the, 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 the happy solution <laughs> to that. What have you been up to, Mark? Um, still trying to build this bicycle. Um, I, I ended up rubbing it down again. Uh, <laughs> Once again, I really hope that's not a euphemism. <laughs> and then I got on with the bicycle, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I've managed to, I've decided to clear the shed, hang it up in there, and that way then it won't get any kind of dust particles, anything like that. And so if I put on the lacquer coat now, then I'll stop kind of fiddling about with it. Have you, you take a lot of time, Mark. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel, are you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I get too kind of involved in it, and you know, just after a while, you kind of think, ah, oh, there's, there's a, a tiny little bit here that's slightly rougher, so you get out the wet and dry, and you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's getting stupid now. There's going to be an, there's going to be an Oscar-worthy film out of this, one man and his bicycle obsession. <laughs> Surely he's reinventing two wheels. Boom, boom. Oh, nice. Twenty hours. That that seems to be quite excessive. You're only painting a bike. It's not a car or a lorry or I, a bus. I, I, I stripped it down to bare metal. I, I I was foolish there. You know, I've spent more in sanding blocks than it's worth. Oh, and yeah. the thing is that now you've reached a point where you can't back out. Oh yeah, it's got to keep going. Yeah. Uh, after the the third can of primer, you you start to think I've got a real problem now. <laughs> Okay, well, best of luck with that. I hope you. Yes. I hope when it comes to the next coat that you put on, you don't get any tear marks or anything. Are you going to machine polish and buff it down once it's done? And again, not a euphemism. Well, I, I was considering doing something along those lines, but on a manual level, which is you you just give it a, a slight uh, rub over with a tiny bit of uh, you know wet sandpaper, and yeah. then you you buff it with a bit of tea cut, that kind of thing. Right. Because, but uh, no, I think that's going too excessive. Too excessive. Too excessive. You already spent 20 hours on the paint. Yeah. 
I'm sure they could paint a 747 in that time. They could paint the fourth rail bridge in that time. <laughs> yeah, but then you have to do it all over again, like bot riders. So, you know. That's it. Right, uh, Steve, starting with a euphemism, what have you been up to? Uh, well, uh, at the weekend, I, I, I watched season four of Rebels, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I'm mad enough to say that I shed a tear at the end. Yeah, but you're at the um, age now where you just cry what did you everything. Shed a, what did you shed a tear out of? <laughs> uh, isn't it normally me that goes that low? <laughs> you, you um, wanted, we needed a euphemism. I, I delivered. <laughs> Thank you. In all seriousness, though, Steve, surely once you get older, I've noticed that now I'm in my almost mid-40s. That you just cry at anything and, and well, like anything. My, dad, my dad's terrible. My dad will burst into tears at the top of a hat, and it's quite embarrassing when you're sort of in the middle of a restaurant. And suddenly, you start <laughs> telling a story about World War Two or something, and there's floods of tears, and you're like, "It's not that sad." <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's, he's. I mean, we can't worry about him actually. But no, I think. Sorry, no. Can I just stop you there? World War Two. It's not that sad. Well, no. <laughs> obviously, World War Two was inherently a sad event, but. The story he was actually telling was kind of funny, I thought, but it, it, he burst into tears. Yes. Get over it, war veterans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. War, how old do you think I am? He, he was a baby in World War Two. We, we, we think you know. you're very old, as being established <laughs> on... <laughs> I am older than you, obviously. I always find it quite impressive when I realise, as I was going to see Empire Strikes Back at the cinema, you were being born. Uh, December well, eighteenth. Not, not literally. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you, uh, it sound part of part of. Actually, movie. no. You were born when I went to see you because I saw it in the summer of eighty. So it was another six months before you turned up. Well, there you go. Um, thought. And, and do you know what's really depressing is that I have now too reached an age where bits of me no longer work terribly well. Although I have thus far held off from the male menopause and I don't weep randomly at things. <laughs> although maybe that's because I'm an emotional cripple that when, went to boarding when school. When do you hit? So, when do you hit four zero, Ed? Uh, I'm 38 in December this right. year, so I've got a little bit, yeah. Another two years' time, right? You'll be watching Country File on a Sunday night and you'll just suddenly <laughs> burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Anyway, as far as levels go, four seasons of well developed characters that I actually cared about, which is something interesting because I couldn't have given a monkey's about any of the characters in um, The Last Jedi, for example. But I care about the characters in Rebels. They set it up really well. They do some really cool stuff in season four that ties everything together with the rest of the saga. And um, it reached an emotional crescendo that I, I thought was, was well, well, really well done. Dave Filoni, I think, understands the nature of Star Wars, it delivers entertaining product that uh, remains true to the spirit but still develops new ideas. And, I've yet um, to watch this. It sounds really good. Is it, it on is, Blu-ray? Yeah. I, haven't, I don't think it's been announced yet for the UK. So um, you might have to wait a little bit there. Obviously, yeah. you can get season one, two, and three very cheaply on Blu-ray in the UK. So if you haven't seen it yet, Mark, um, I, re- I really recommend it. I think it's excellent. Just for, continu- re- just for continuity's sake, the reason Steve's now suddenly out of, out of breath <laughs> in, that, <laughs> in that segue is he's been away and, and lifted a TV and come back in the meantime. Yeah. He's not yeah. burst into tears or had an emotional <laughs> an emotional <laughs> sort of collapse okay so and we managed to get to um uh, star wars within the first 10 minutes of the podcast so well done there steve that's that's a new record for us we won't, we won't mention it again no that's <laughs> this fine podcast yeah i was going to say we will mention it again just not in this podcast you were complete well i mean obviously you've you've had a busy day haven't you a busy day yesterday phil because you went uh, you decided to do a two-hour engagement which required a mere eight hours of driving nine hours of driving four and yes. a half hours each way on the m1 during the week holiday what season fun. absolute fun it was it was swelteringly hot when i left even at half past seven 
yesterday morning when I left Durham. So I decided that I wasn't going to go in, in jeans and a shirt. I was going to wear some shorts <laughs> because I thought it's going to be uh, a nice day down there. It's going to be far hotter than it is up here, up in the north. And I'm going to be in a room full of items blowing hot <laughs> air. And uh, so, yeah, I thought, well, no, I'm going to wear some shorts and because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to stand in sweat. I, I, I want to be comfortable when I'm doing this. Gets there. It's absolutely chucking down the rain, 16 degrees. I get out a bright, bright blue Mustang <laughs> wearing some shorts. I must have looked like a right one. Did you at least wear a, a Hawaiian shirt? Because I'm just imagining you stepping out looking like Magnum P.I. No, no, no. I, I, I wore a smart T-shirt. I, I was dressed casual but smart. Um, but a I smart t- T-shirt. But a ton. But the, th- um, the, the thing is, though, that you—it's not like you've decided to correct this, is it? You know, oh, I've got out of my bright blue Mustang. Perhaps you'd like to tell the listeners, you know, have is is you you, you might have well, ordered you did another board, <laughs> haven't you, Phil? And is it is it a, a nice grey Focus or a, a titanium <laughs> silver Mondeo <laughs> or bright orange? Some, right. Well, I, I think I, I think I have to tell the whole story here, so that and, and we'll be quick. But the whole story is that they were bringing out a special edition Mustang this year called The Bullet. It's based on the 1968 Mustang uh, featured in the film Bullet. It's the 50th anniversary this year of that film, so they were bringing out a special edition Mustang in deep highland green with the 1960s torque thrust alloy design and so on, and it's going to be a really limited card. So so limited that my dealer had initially sold out, um, so I'd kind of put it on the back burner, but then I got a phone call on Monday morning saying, I've got one. I said, right, I'll be down to speak to you about it. And I went into the dealership. And the long and short of it was I couldn't afford it. It was just because it's a limited edition car. Obviously, it's a lot more money. And we did the we did the figures and all the rest of it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't stretch it. But I wasn't disappointed because I ended up buying a bright orange Mustang, a 2019 model. Um, so he's a good salesman, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, 2019 model, so it's a uh, facelifted model, so it's got a new front end on it, it's new design, it's got a brand new engine in it, which is now direct and port injection. There's loads of uh, safety features and stuff on it. It now scores three stars, NCAP, <laughs> rather than two stars. <laughs> uh, but it's got things like active exhaust, so you can put it in track mode and it's louder than the aftermarket exhaust that I put on the Mustang I've got at the moment. Um, but then you can also set quiet mode. So when you go out to the car at is half past like seven, <laughs> basically what it does is it, it closes all the valves down in the exhaust, so it's really really quiet. So you can put it in a quiet mode. So if you're coming home at eleven o'clock at night and you don't want to wake up the neighbours or whatever, you put it in a quiet mode and it just shuts the whole system down and makes it really quiet. Or you can have it really really loud and and be obnoxious if you want to be. So there's that. There's the digital dash and all the rest of it. But yes, it is what's called Orange Fury is the the name of the paint. And the only other extra I ticked uh, was the Recaro sport seats uh, in leather, and and that's it. And it will be so this, here this one's in got March. An extra pedal though, hasn't it? Oh yes, I've gone back to manual. So the last two yeah. Mustangs that I've had um, have been autos, and the reason I went for an auto was I came out of a, an Audi S3 which had the dual clutch auto. And getting into the Mustang, it was like a slush box in comparison. But I've managed to, the last two Mustangs have been great. It's just I fancy going back to manual. I fancy using my left leg again and, and rowing through the gears and stuff. It's, um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Comes in March. Should be here. Lovely. 
and it'll be very subtle. I mean, you'll only yeah. be able to see it from space. You'll you'll so, see me coming. So if you see a, a bright orange Mustang, you know, give us a flash of lights, give us a wave. Now you're not tempted to take the plate off this one with all of its various horse references and put it on the other one. Hold on to it as your Mustang plate. Uh, no, I, I am um, I'm considering a, a, a plate. I have one in mind that I, that I may put on it. Is it V O M one T? hadn't thought of that one that's good i'm gonna go and see if that's available it, i don't think it was ever issued I'm well afraid. you see it was um it, it was either uh this bright orange or uh, the other one i quite fancied was need for green which is like uh it's like the blue that i've got is that kind of finish but in green like a bright green right. but i thought it looked a bit too john deere so you would, you would <laughs> get some nice yellow wheels to go <laughs> <Yeah>. with it <laughs> that's it or yellow stripes over the top of john deere um or or you would get Kermit or whatever so you know I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to go that way. I can't, I can't be putting up with those those jibes. But anyway, right, so that's what we've been up to this week. You do uh, realise that I am simply going to name the car David Dickinson, and <laughs> that is all I will refer yeah, to it as. Yeah, I've already had Cheese Whiz and, and yeah, some other I things. I was thinking of the old Tango commercial. <laughs> yeah, you've been Tango. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, good one. Oh, at least it's T4NG0. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to look for that one as well. What were those orangey little crisp things? What's it? What's it? What's it? Yeah. What's it? Yeah, where's your That's what's what it? it? Okay. I'll... So uh, the, the the possibilities the possibilities for mockery are endless. Yes, and congratulations, and... Phil, on you. your environmentally conscientious new Ford. <laughs> you could regrow your ginger moustache as well. Yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> right, competition time. Mark, tell us all about. Okie dokie. Uh, you can win a copy of Flesh and Blood on Blu-ray, and that one closes on the fourteenth of August. And we've also got Police Story One and Two on Blu-ray, and you've got until the twentieth of August for that one. Okay, any previous winners? Uh, yes, PMR won Game Night on Blu-ray, and AD Bailey 18 won the Samsung 55-inch Q6F QLED TV. Excellent, Did good you stuff. Do the Play Story one? Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear. <laughs> <laughs> the T trolley's coming honest. along in a moment, Granddad. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Were you yeah. just having a quick cry? Okay, we'll be back in a sec if Steve can keep it together with uh, hardware news. What did you do during the war, Grandad? <laughs> Wept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're back for hardware news and um, we're going to change things up because... Ed's going to go first this week, because we normally we, we steam in with the AV stuff, but no, we're going to have a bit of hi-fi from Ed first. Arcam makes some excellent products. I, I've, I, you know, they, they've been around such a long time, and they're a company who um, I, I've, I've got a long history with as well. So um, you know, I, I remember the old days back at Bristol, meeting up with John and so on, and, and having a good old natter about what he'd been up to and the new products coming along and so on. So they've got a new integrated amplifier. You've been having a look at it. Tell us all about yes. it. Um the, I mean, to be clear on this, Arcam have been around for a long time, and critically, in contrast to a number of other manufacturers, they really only change things when they they feel there's a damn good reason to. So the preceding um, FMJ series of Arcam components, I mean, they, I think the first FMJ stuff came out last century, um, to put it into perspective. So. Changing to new design and new casework is a big deal for Arcam. They don't do it very often. They only do it when they have a, a reason to. Um, but the uh, new HDA components, high-definition audio, make of that what you will, um, 
three products, two integrated amplifiers and a CD player come streamer. We had a look at the larger um, uh, of the two integrated amplifiers, the SA20. And the reason selected the SA20 was twofold. One, there is another £1,000 amplifier that we've looked at I've looked at in this clutch of reviews, so it makes an interesting point of comparison. And it's also the cheapest or most affordable, perhaps I should say, RCAM integrated amplifier to use the company's Class G amplification system. So this is the a thousand pounds. It's the most affordable way of listening to uh, a different amplifier. That's a pretty good deal, I've got to say. Um, and the other thing is that this is, if you like, a thoroughly modern integrated. Uh, it has digital inputs, uh, reflecting the fact that source equipment is no longer exact, doesn't exactly work in the same way as it used to. Um, you can stick an Ethernet socket in the back of it and control it over IP, which potentially is a boon for custom installers. And it's a, it's a, it's a good amplifier i mean i don't really arcam hasn't made a, a very large number of bad amplifiers it does all the things that you would expect an arcam to do it is true and in and in the copy i point out um if you believe that saying something is easy listening is a criticism that's a bit of a weird one it is perfectly possible in the line of work that i do where i i, I sit and write in front of equipment you can put the sa20 on in the morning and just wind your way through your music collection and at no stage is it anything other than really good to listen to and i think that's you know in terms of long-term satisfaction you might not put put it on the first time at a dealer demonstration and and get sonic fireworks out of it but you'll come to appreciate that when you just realize that you can you can spend vast tracts of time listening to it and enjoying it it's not perfect um, I think Arcam has chosen some, there is, you know, their choice of the, the, the and, and selection of digital inputs is not quite as flexible as some rivals. Um, I think it could have benefited from having Bluetooth and the looks will be a matter of taste. I quite like it. And I quite like the fact that in some ways there is a tiny bit of, uh, if you like, reflection of the original Alpha series stuff from way back in the past. And I like the fact that that's been done quite, quite carefully. Um, uh, the other problem is the other amplifier I've reviewed this month, which we'll, we'll have a look at uh, as and when it's, it's ready to go up, because that is the same price to the penny. And in some regards, it has it, it 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 moves the game on a little further than the Arcam at the expense, perhaps, of not always being as genuinely engaging to listen to. Ed, it sounds like it's it's a type of product that, um, like you say, when you go to a dealer demo, it might not immediately pop out. But it's one of these products that, after listening a while, you actually miss it when it's not there. Would that be accurate? Yes, that, that's fair to say. In, it's If you have a wide selection of, of, of musical genres in your collection, and it also if you have stuff which just, you know, you listen to it and you think that's not a great recording. The Arcam has the ability to work well with your good your good stuff and make your your less brilliant recordings just work in a way that some more forensic rivals can't. It's one thing, I mean, I, I have to say I'm a little out of touch as to at what level home demonstrations become a practical proposition for, for hi-fi dealers in 2018. But I would wager that you'll sell more SA20s by leaving the customer in their own house with it for a couple of days than you will sitting them down in a, a high-pressure dem environment and A-Bing it against yeah. something else. 
but yeah. that was all in many ways that's always been the arcan way um and there's no significant change with the um with 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 this you know class g technology and this new new casework this is you know it's an amplifier for grown-ups it's not about turning it on in front of your mates and go wow like that it's just simply being able to sit down and listen to your accrued musical history and enjoy all of it good stuff so that review will be up um hopefully the week that you're listening to the podcast um we'll try and make an effort to make sure that it is up there for you to to read um so thanks very much for that ed and we're going to stick with audio and we're going to go to steve because steve's had another subwoofer in the house did it break your back this time did you need to hire the forklift truck for this one thank god this one was a sensible size (laughs) and weight (laughs) uh yeah um it's the rel or rel rel it's rel isn't it yeah yes i've always said rel uh ht slash one zero zero three do you know Um, where do you know where rel comes from steve why it's called rel Uh, yeah because it was the guy that invented it so it was richard e lord Um, ah yes that's right so that's that's where it comes from yeah um and I, I don't know anybody else but I, I personally it was my first subwoofer was a rel um, yes anybody else get start with st- the rel storm yeah i started with yeah. the, the rel storm yeah back in the uh, ooh, mid 90s 96 no 95 i bought the the rel storm it had just come out 95 90, yeah i think, I, think I was 90 i think i bought my rel in 97 i think it was right yeah anyway so rel i mean everyone, you basically you associate them with subwoofers but interestingly generally i think and ed I know you reviewed one of their subs, I think, last year, and, and you could probably testify to this. Traditionally, a rel sub has a high-level um, input and a, a low-level input. And the idea is that with the high-level input, you put the um, output from the uh, amplifier or receiver to the sub and then onto the speakers to, in, a, in a stereo configuration to use the sub as part of a, a stereo setup, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. This, this uh, sub deviates from that traditional rel pattern it's specifically designed for home theater so there's two of them at the moment and the naming convention actually tells you what they do so the ht home theater 10 10 inch driver 03 300 watts of amplification there's also an ht 1205 so 12 inch driver and 500 watts of amplification uh, and these are specifically aimed at uh, for the home theater market so there's no high level input there's just a low level um, lfe input and uh, obviously it's aimed at a specific price point too so you can get the HT1003 for £499, which I've got to say, I think is a very reasonable, attractive price point. And because uh, of that, obviously, it's built to a price point. So, you know, it's, it's not particularly flashy. Um, but then again, you know, it's a sub. It's a it's a black cube. What, what do you expect? Uh, it's a black wooden cube. Uh, it uh, sits on some wooden feet. I've got to say, if you use, if you put it on a wooden floor or a linoleum floor or something like that, you want to maybe think about using the rubber feet because it can go walkies otherwise. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you can also, they don't come with them, but you can put on optional spikes, which might be a good idea. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a very plain looking, I mean, it obviously is designed to be used in home theatres and things like that, so looks aren't really important and it's a sub, so fine by me. Thank God it's a sensible size and weight, so moving it around and installing it was a lot easier. Uh, and it's that easy to install. Obviously, you know, you simply plug it in and then do rest. Basically, it's designed, set the level, set the crossover. Um, obviously, if it's LFE, you put it right around to LFE. Um, you've got the phase button, but it should be zero if you're not going to be anything wrong with the setup of your system. And then after that, really, everything's designed to be done from the receiver uh, rather than through the subs. So the sub is it's pretty simple in terms of its, of its controls. No remote control, obviously. Like I say, it's built to a price point. But uh, 
what I can say is they know how to make a sub. And this sub isn't big, but my God, it performs. It punches yeah. well above its weight in terms of its performance. Um, really, really solid base and really fast and tight. I, it was a, it's a cracking little sub. I'm absolutely amazed at the performance and particularly at the price. Uh, I, I think... Uh, you know, if, if they're targeting the home theatre market and particularly the affordable end, I mean, some of the stuff I've seen recently not only has been huge, but obviously it's been quite expensive. But I think 499 quid for a good sub is, is a very good price. I, I see, this is why I think, you know, going back to um, the late 90s and then when EV forums came around in 2000, you know, the, the chat was about REL because it was affordable. It was it was high performance, but it, it was it was at every man pricing. And it, it was a relatively new product as well for a lot of people in the UK. I mean, it, obviously, subwoofers have been around a, a long time in the US market, but for, for the UK market, um, I think what what uh, Rail managed to do was introduce people to this product, to adding something into their system that was beneficial um, and at a, at a really decent price point. And it sounds like, because they did go the high-end side of things, I'm trying to remember what they were used to be called. It was the studio and the senator and... You know, they did Senator, these. I remember, yeah. They did these big subwoofers. I mean, they that still make high end subs. Yeah, there's plenty of high end subs. The, the point I'm trying to make is they're getting back to yeah. the everyman sub, the, the the nice price point versus performance, value for money, something that that looks nice as well that you can add into um, a modern contemporary living room, and it's not going to look out of place. It's kind of the point I was trying to get to. Yeah. No, I mean, I totally agree. This this is a real return to I think an area where they were very strong in the days when we first got into. AV and bought our first subwoofers. There's a reason why we both bought Rails first because they were good and affordable. And this is back to that again. This is a, a home theater subwoofer that's affordable and really, really good. And it's also got quite a few. I mean, if you think about it, yes, you can buy it for use in a 5.1 or 7.1 system, whatever you've got, but you could also buy it and use it to beef up a, a, a soundbar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's ideal for that because it is, you know, it is relatively intrusive and, and reasonably small. So you can pop it into a lounge quite easily, move it around, get it at the right spot. Um, as I say, it's not it's not a massive looker, but it's not unattractive either. I mean, it's got a, a, a you know, the sort of the the, um, the wooden blackwood um, uh, cabinet with a glossy top to it. So it's and the rail name in the middle of the glossy top. So it, it looks quite nice. It's in, unobtrusive. It's it's small enough to fit around. So that's always something you can do at four ninety nine quid. You could even think about getting two if you want to, stay, you know, two subs at the front of the room or even more. I mean, this is a kind of price point where you've got options like that. Um, and, yeah, I, I think uh, this is I think these are going to sell really well because yeah. <laughs> I just think it's, it's such a brilliant performer. But also it's it's just a well, well made, well designed, great performance and a cracking price. And what more could you want really from yeah. a sub? And, and I've got to say, they've always had high level inputs as well, Ed. Um, and when they first came to market, it wasn't just about the home cinema market. It was also about adding they this predate, into your hi They predate hi, uh, home cinema. It, you know, they the yeah. earliest earliest models i you know i think came out before dolby surround and it was it was essentially you know beyond it just it, it augmenting i mean the, the the lord philosophy was augmenting the lower regions actually then had effect on how we perceived the entire yeah. sonic frequency and it, it must be said with in the hands of people who know what they're doing i have had rel music demonstrations which have been genuinely impressive and when i reviewed the last set that i did and they sent two you know for for the laugh uh having they those set two up, yeah <laughs> having having set having that set up carefully 
uh, augmenting a pair of relatively teeny acoustic energy AE1 classics. That was it was a genuinely satisfying musical experience. It bloody well ought to be because it it wasn't it was a far from far from inexpensive uh, method of doing things. But yes, uh, Rel and Eclipse um, are the two subwoofer manufacturers who are, uh, exist in a world where they do things subtly differently, and that that you know it in in I mean obviously that what you're describing here, Steve, it strikes me as slightly different. But their more traditional offerings, you might lose that last half octave of explosions, but the commensurate gain in speed and agility, musicality is, as well. Yeah, is 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 very very considerable. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I, you know, their approach to doing things, and it's an approach I'd, I approve of. And I know sometimes we knock heads, Ed, in, in, in when it comes to music and and how we should use the subwoofers and systems and all the rest of it. But my approach has always been that it's there to fill in the bottom frequencies and to take the strain off the main speaker, so you're balancing the sound and giving yourself more headroom, basically. Mm. Now there are people who add subwoofers in and overcook them especially for dance music and that kind of thing, which I don't agree with. But what you're saying there, and obviously the way that um, Richard Lord went about you know, progressing the product and introducing the product, it was more about that, that understated adding it in and giving yourself a little bit more headroom rather than it standing out and you realising it was in the system. And that's what I liked yes. about it. It was a nice blend. So, And I've just been looking at his um, bio, and unfortunately I hadn't realised it, it's been so long since he passed. It was last year, mm. last January, uh, last, sorry, last July. And um, he's one person in the industry I never met. I never got the opportunity to meet him. And it's a bit of a shame that because he uh, sounds like a real character. And I would have wanted to shake his hand and say thank you for introducing me to subwoofers because uh, yeah, mm. they were a, a big favourite on the forums and hopefully they'll get back to, back on form again. It sounds like they're heading that way, Steve, and, and hopefully you know this model will do well for them and, and we'll get a bit more chat on the AV forums about the Rail brand. Yeah, and one other thing they sent me along to test with this uh, sub, and I know Ed's uh, tested a preview ver- previous version, is they also sent the HT Air. So this is the home theatre Air wireless modules. So you attach one module transmitter to the receiver end and then the receiver, the receiver transmitter <clears throat> to the uh, sub, and you can connect it wirelessly to your receiver or, or amplifier um, or processor, <laughs> and therefore you know, have a little bit more freedom about moving it around the room, and also obviously you have to run a cable across the room, which is a nice little feature to have for some people as well. Yes, uh, and I have to be if it's anything like the Arrow system that I used, um, th- it, it, it's slightly bulky, but there were no latency. I mean, you, I, I, obviously the mechanics of testing latency outside of a lab isn't easy but as best as i could ascertain by really giving it the you know really really testing it to, to destruction i couldn't get latency issues at all so that yeah. was incredibly i think this impressive. is just similar no latency but a slightly smaller um devices so they're a bit more a bit more compact i think yes because looking at the pictures of yours they look really big they were <laughs> Okay, uh, so I think that wraps up hardware for this week. I was going to talk about a cello TV, but I think we'll, we'll save some TV chat for next week because um, hopefully I'll have I'll have had time to go through some of these Samsung TVs that have turned up with me this week. So I now have a Q8 here. Um, 
and I've just set that up and I've had a busy week so I haven't really had a chance to look at that so we'll, we'll go over initial thoughts in next week's podcast the following week's podcast there isn't one because it's a bank holiday Monday and um, as we haven't had a holiday this year the, the podcast will be taking a break for the bank holiday and then immediately after the bank holiday it's IFA. so we're going to have lots to talk about when it comes to IFA. and myself and Steve will be on the podcast on September the 3rd now September the 3rd's podcast will be late on the Monday normally it's there sort of one minute past midnight on the Monday morning um, it will be probably Monday evening because we're going to record the podcast on the Monday isn't that right Steve so that's right if yeah. I'll still be fresh in the mind we'll record it on the Monday and then the podcast's back to normal the week after that so that's bank holiday Monday don't expect the podcast there's not one around we're going to take the bank holiday off because we've got EFA that week and we're going to be running around it's the same size as CES and it's so stretched out and you've got to get to one hall to the next hall to the other it's going to be a great workout in terms of fitness um but it's it's not an easy show to get around, especially when you've only got a day and a half, which myself and Steve have, to get around and have a look at stuff. And it sounds like there's going to be some really interesting stuff there this year as well. So, especially projector-wise, the interesting projectors, stay tuned because there's some there's yeah, a little some exciting stuff coming. There's up. a little teaser trailer um, on the. Mm, I watched that this morning. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, so it's all looking good uh, in terms of projectors. So if that's your thing, stay tuned for EFA. It's going to be exciting. And plus, we've got the two Sony's to look at as well. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the Master Series Sony's. So that's coming up. That's where the podcasts are going to be in the next few weeks. And we'll be back in a sec with movie news, uh, but no review. Oh, yes, we have. We've got a review, and it's a special one. Stay tuned. Uh, Right, so I said it was going to be a special review, and it is because it's not from Steve. It's not from me. It's definitely not from Ed. (laughs) So, Mark... Mark's been to the cinema. What do you go and see, Mark, and, and tell us what you thought? Uh, yes, I well, I was informed, as it's uh, now summer holidays for kids, and my nephew informed me that I was taking him to see Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Um, so it, it's a Cartoon Network kind of um, teen superhero type thing, kids cartoon um, involving DC characters, and it's very much from the kind of uh, modern school of kids tv where it's kind of a a knowing nudge and a wink to the parents or adults in the room with the occasional joke um not as not as kind of highbrow as something like wish fart or something like that um (laughs) no sniggering at the back um but it's very much in the kind of colorful zany slapstick uh mold but there there were a few moments where i did actually laugh out loud um (laughs) Maybe because I, I've got a puerile sense of humour, but it opens with a good first fart gag, which is always good, um, and that got all the kids laughing. Um, but there are little, little things in there, like um, obviously they're, they're DC characters, so putting in the you know Marvel jokes, stuff like that. You know, people mistaking them for the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, but also stuff that you know kind of goes over kids' heads, like uh, Nicolas Cage is voicing Superman in it. And you, you know, <laughs> but it takes you a moment and you think hang on I, kn- I know that voice and then you suddenly realize and obviously you know you're in a kind of room full of like kind of six and seven year olds who just completely don't get it and like little things like a uh, they have to go back in time so you get the little musical cue from back to the future <laughs> and stuff like that but it, it's it's just very much a kind of a visual movie you know as they go back in time you've got a group of you know superheroes riding big wheel trikes to the sound of aha's take on me <laughs> as they have to perform stunts to raise a rad meter and then neon glow kind of shoots out of the handlebars and they go back in time 
And, you know. Sounds really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it, it's full of just kind of little catchy tunes and stuff like that. And there's uh, there's there's one genuinely great joke in there surrounding um, Bruce Wayne's parents, which I won't spoil for people. But it, I, genuinely, if you don't laugh at that, then, you know, you, you, you have no soul as far as I'm concerned. It's a uh, yeah, it, I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's not, you know, at 88 minutes, it just feels like a kind of feature length version of a kid's cartoon. Um, and, and there's not too much, um, not too much of a message there. You know, it's not, it doesn't try to be earnest or anything like that. It's just really kind of idiotic, childish jokes for, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, which is perfect for me. <laughs> so if, obviously, if people are at a loose end with the with school holidays and they've got the kids running around tearing the place to bits and they want to get out of the cinema, you recommend it then? Yeah, thoroughly. I mean, as I say, it's not quite up there with Wish Fart or Lego Star Wars or that kind of thing with, a, you know, that kind of fourth wall breaking style of uh, highbrow comedy, as Wish Fart obviously is. Um, but yeah, very much simplistic, colourful style and yeah, really good fun. Okay, good stuff. And you scored out of 10? Score out of 10, oh, um, uh, eight, eight fart jokes out of 10. Okay, good stuff. <laughs> there you go. Now, normally myself and Steve would uh, then be waxing lyrical about the Meg, but the Meg only opens today as we record the podcast. And Annoyingly, time, yes. Having the time to get out there. But um, have you booked your tickets, Steve? Are you going to go and see it? I, I'm going to go and see it next week. I haven't booked my tickets yet, but um, I'll go and see it uh, probably on Tuesday or Wednesday. But we can definitely talk about it next week's podcast. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to go and see it as well. Dying to see it, actually. So I'm going to go and see that. Uh, like like you, probably next week. Um, early screening as well. The weird thing was, even my, my seven-year-old nephew was telling me about the Meg. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the trailer? The Meg, you know, yeah, it's yeah, a Megalodon. Yeah. yeah, it's really, yeah. I think everyone's interested in that one. Yeah, good, good. And hopefully it lives up to the hype and the trailers and everything else. So, um, films opening this week, Steve. We have a few. We've got The Festival, which basically looks in the trailers like the in-betweeners go to a Glastonbury. Um, at least one of the in-betweeners is in it. Um, Joe, Joe, is it Joe Thomas, I think his name is? Yeah. Um, yeah Joe I think Thomas, they're stuck in, in those roles until... Yeah, basically they could pay them until they're in their 50s. But uh, it looked quite funny in the trailers. I mean, if you've ever been to a festival, it, it kind of hits all the notes that I, I know from like <laughs> the fact you don't go to the loo for three days because you don't want to face the toilets and that kind of stuff and you haven't had a shower or anything like that. Uh, it did look quite funny in the trailers. So that's coming out. The festival, um, comedy set in a festival. Also coming out, Christopher Robin which uh, is from Disney, uh, part of their ongoing sort of plan of turning popular animated stuff into live-action things. So this involves Christopher Robin, now growing up and played by Ewan McGregor, uh, rekindling his relationship with his cuddly toys, particularly Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore. Yes, it's been banned in China, and this is really bizarre. It's been banned in China because... Uh, well, Winnie the Pooh's been banned in China more specifically because there's been lots of stuff on the internet comparing the Chinese premier... Xi Jinping... Xi Jinping, thank you, uh, who looks a bit like Winnie the Pooh. Now, that just seems like mildly amusing, hardly the reason to ban it, but that's that's why they ban it, so they've really got no sense of humour in the... Any early reviews on this that? one, Steve? Sorry? Any good reviews on this one, early reviews? Has it been reviewed oh, well? It's been out in the States for a while now, it's been, it's been reviewed very well. Um, apparently it's very emotional, makes you cry, uh, you know... Um, it looks very <laughs> earnest. <laughs> but that, got, that could uh, be any film for you, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. It's got. Uh, it's, yes, it's had a, a good reviews in the states um, and been well received. Um, right. um, okay. And uh, um, you know, 
I don't Paddington, know. Paddington set the kids' kind of bear bar very high, I think. It did, so. yes. It did. Mm, yeah. uh, but, uh, yes, apparently it, it's it's quite good. It's made by Mark Foster, actually, who directed um, one of the Bond movies of all things. And also did uh, Finding Neverland. So he, I think he does sort of all right, yeah. that kind of thing quite well. Um, uh, yes, anyway, uh, it's got, you were say, Hugh McGregor and Hayley Atwell are the, lead, the human leads, and then various voices doing... Um, Doing the uh, obviously doing the animated and, and the CG animated versions of you know Pooh Pooh Bear the actual bear version, uh, but still looking similar to the animated two two D animated cell animation version from Disney and also you've got Eeyore and Tigger and everybody in there so it sounds like it might be quite nice actually and also coming out uh, this uh, this Friday the Equalizer two which is obviously the sequel to the Equalizer with Denzel Washington back as as the Equalizer Equal, you know uh, if you've ever seen the Edward Woodward um, uh, TV series is obviously a lot more animated than that because uh, Denzel's a bit younger, <laughs> uh, a bit more action-packed. But uh, it, I think it's directed by the same director who did the original one, Anton Fuqua, um, who, worked, who worked with Denzel Washington on D- quite does, a few movies. Does it have a bit more blue language in it, uh, uh, Steve? A lot more blue language, yeah. yes. Um, I've, I've actually seen The Equalizer. I saw it on a plane, and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, uh, well, I haven't uh, seen it. It's quite a nice little understated little film. Yes, I, I like Denzel does that kind of character like you can do in his sleep. Um, they're kind of, you know, uh, quiet, but when he gets pushed too far, delivers the violence with with great aplomb. And um, yeah, I think Denzel does, Denzel does it really well. He's good in the Equalizer. You know, he plays this character. You know, who's un, unassuming, but actually has all this training behind the scenes. The way he goes, basically, he goes one point goes into a room full of Russian te- Russian, you know, um, gangsters and kills them all with a pencil. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's I quite enjoyed it. Is that on? 4k disc actually uh, if, you, if you're interested and so that's coming out on friday as well i will probably get it on disc rather than go to the cinema yeah because uh, i'd rather see the meg next week but i you know yes there's three three actually three quite interesting films coming out um, are you going to go and see meg. christopher robin i don't know i don't know i'll see i might do a double bill um okay. that and the meg <laughs> do, do, you, do you have to buy a lot of hankies to go in with that one you, you will if it's a, if it's a bit of a weepy anyway i mean you'll yeah, be you'll yeah. be crying at the meg knowing you <laughs> Yeah, we'll be crying at the sight of Statham in the Meg. <laughs> Apparently, the only word on the Meg is that you know it, it, it's dumb, but doesn't take itself seriously, and therefore, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all from the beginning, and that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I need a bit of fun uh, at the cinema, so hopefully that'll be the case. Right, Blu-rays. Um, well, let's mix them together because there's not a lot coming out in Blu-rays, but uh, Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray. What have we got coming up? Well, coming out on Monday uh, on both Blu-ray and 4K disc is A Quiet Place, which I've been talking about for a couple of weeks now. And I know you ordered it, but uh, I think it's a cracking little film, really great little horror film, uh, really well directed by John Krasinski and very great, a really great performance from Emily Blunt, his real-life wife, playing his wife in the film. Uh, it's is this the one where they can't make a noise? Yeah, it's the one where they can't make any noise, otherwise you get attacked by these blind but sound-sensitive monsters, um, and it's just basically a four-hander with just the, the father and mother and the, and the daughter and son uh, dealing with tragedy, dealing with this world. The mother's pregnant. Obviously, babies make noise. They're going to have a baby. They have to work out some way of having a baby without attracting the monster's attention. It's very tense, some great scares in it, and a brilliant, brilliant use of the soundtrack, where, you know, because obviously you think, well, there's no sound. Obviously, there's always sound. It's them trying to suppress that sound that makes it interesting. And when there is a noise, it's really loud. Uh, it's great dynamic range in this soundtrack, but it's, it's a cracking little film and a great disc, and I highly recommend it. And Kaz's review is on the homepage as well. Uh, you it's, probably caught yeah. up with it last week because we put it out a little bit earlier. I'm looking forward to it, Steve. I think it'll be a good little uh, movie, like you say. Um, you've made you've piqued my interest anyway, So, um, and it's not like me to spend 20 quid on a 
on a Blu-ray, on on a whim. So there you go. Uh, what else can we get 4K? Also wise? out on Blu-ray, it, it's not its first time it's been out before on disc, but I think it's, it's a bit more of a special edition now. Is Tideland, which is um, a film by Terry Gilliam, a very strange film about um, a young girl with a very active imagination who creates a sort of a fantasy world around her um, to deal with other issues like abuse. Uh, it's it's a it's a challenging film, but I, I have seen it and I did think it was quite interesting and he gets a great performance out of the little girl actually. Uh, Gillian's one of those guys that does, a bit like Spielberg, can work well with children in terms of getting performances out of them. Um, so that's coming out if you're a Gilliam fan, one to pick up. And then in terms of 4K releases, there have been quite a few things announced. Most of them seem to be coming out in October. Uh, certainly in the States, I guess around about the same time in the UK. Um, but we've got the Matrix sequels coming. Um, there'll be, obviously, the Matrix itself came out a few months ago. Um, they're releasing Reloaded and Revolutions. Plus also they're doing it as a box set of all three if you want to get that, if you didn't get the original one. Uh, the Fast and Furious films are coming. Um, they've already released seven, uh, six, seven and eight have already on 4K disc. They're now bringing out one, two and three on 4K disc. But you'll not be Annoying. interested in them. Uh, well, I, I will them. get them just to complete the collection, but obviously the one I want is Fast Five, which is A, the best of them and also the first one that has the rock in it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, At least he's honest. Can you name any of the cars that are in the first one, two, three? No, I haven't got, yeah. got a clue. I don't think about the films. I don't care about it. I couldn't go for monkeys about cars. Um, but when The Rock turns up, it's, it just goes to another <laughs> level. Basically. That's true. It's true. The films Fast Five is a cracking, is a heist movie with The Rock. Uh, and some people in cars, but it's 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 the rock that makes that film, and it, it annoys really... me. He is he is right about that. Um, Fast Five, against all odds, is a truly outstanding film. Uh, it has elements of the Meg in so much as no one's taking it that seriously. No, no. Um, it's and entertaining. And what more could you want from a film? I mean, you know, I mean they're, they're dragging a massive safe through the streets of, of Rio, is it? They're in Brazil. They're in Brazil somewhere, aren't they? I think it's Rio. They're dragging a safe, and this is a big safe. They're dragging it along behind a, a high-performance sports car, as if that's even conceivable. Uh, yeah, and you don't question it. Two, it's just really two, high two, high two, high. yeah, two, two, yeah. Um, it's brilliant. It's it's so. If you haven't seen Fast Five, if, if you're going to see one Fast and the Furious movie, that's the one you want to watch. It is. Brilliant. Unfortunately, I watched the first one. I haven't watched any of the others. I, I'd say the first one, which is just basically a point blank point, not point point break, point, point remake, break, yeah, yeah, point break remake, is uh, is 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 one of the weakest. <laughs> uh, uh, the latter ones are the ones with well, the ones with the rock, basically the ones that are good. The, the, the second one, is, <laughs> the second one is is dreadful. Tokyo Drift is odd. It because I mean, obviously, it's been hammered back into the timeline, like hammering yeah. a square peg into a very round hole it has a saving grace that it's weird it's a weirdly charming film um in certain regards and um as a, a single sequence of uh surround effects that if you don't have a, a relatively decent system just sounds uncontrollably bad the initial race up the car park as a demonstration sequence in tokyo drift I, if they do that right in 4k will be brilliant uh, if you've got the equipment that's up to the job, and I can't remember who the lady was in Tokyo Drift, but she was jaw-droppingly attractive. I mean, yes, that's by the by. Um, but yeah, and then the fourth one is just weirdly bleak and has lots yeah, of yeah, it, it is bleak, isn't it? And uh, it's got a kind of a, a bleak reboot because obviously, the, if you don't know much about the Fast and Furious, uh, Vin Diesel's in the first one. He's not in the second one. He only appears right at the end of the third one. So the fourth one was kind of getting the gang back together again. Mm. Um, but then the fifth one is where it just becomes a completely different 
the first four films are basically car racing movies, aren't they? Yes. For the fifth film, it's it becomes uh, heist movies and and high 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 concept entertainment basically, and uh, and the rock arrives and then it becomes a whole different thing. Um, yes. Anyway, they're coming out <laughs> on disc. Uh, also announced uh, the Evil Dead. They've done a, a new 4K restoration of the 60 16 mil camera negative. Um, it's going to be out in 4K with Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. Um, I don't know how good that's going to look. I mean, the, the Evil Dead, to me, always has to look like a crappy VHS. Yeah, yeah, game. yeah, it has to. That's yeah. the only way I can imagine it. <laughs> the yeah. idea of it being in 4K, you know, is, is a bit weird. Um, but if you like The Evil Dead, and it is a cracking film, that's coming out. Also, a couple of Fincher movies are being prepped by Sony. The Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, and also, and this is interesting, Panic Room. Panic Room, never been released on Blu-ray. It's basically going for TV. It's never had a Blu-ray release. Right. At least I've never found one because I would have bought it if it had. Um, yes, never been released on Blu-ray. Um, to my knowledge, I'm, I'm prepared to be corrected if someone knows it better than me. Might have been some obscure foreign release, but certainly in the States and the UK, as far as I'm aware, it's never been released on Blu-ray. It's getting a 4K release. So that'll be interesting. Now, just keep my fingers crossed that they'll f- someone at Fox will finally release The Abyss. <laughs> it's, it's the one film the one film that's you know, yeah, one of my favourite films never been released on True Lies as well I, want to see, I know yeah, True Lies I'm not Lies so bothered about True no, Lies no, I'm not bothered about it but you know it, it, it'd be nice to see it because we were promised um, a, a restoration for um, Blu-ray and it never it never appeared and now we're being promised restorations of these films for, for 4K and James Cameron keeps saying yes I've done it and, and the stuff's done yeah. but we, where is it then yeah exactly because The Abyss has never even had an anamorphic DVD release that's right it. yeah yeah. It's just I've got I've got a non-anamorphic DVD and that's it and I bought that in '99, so for twenty nearly twenty years now there's yeah. been nothing else, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean the, the only uh, way to see it in HD is actually on Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, um, but it's not the uh, it's not the longer cut, is it? It's just the no, it's just the theatrical. So yeah. I've really, it's always I've really after the wet gate scan. They've done the 4K pass. They've done HDR pass. It's all been done. So for God's sake, Fox, get it out <laughs> uh, because I I want to see it. Okay. Anyway, that's that's the focus. Okay, right. Um, we we are fast running out of time, but there's there's definitely two things that we're going to talk about to to finish the podcast. The first one is Patrick Stewart coming back to Jean Luc Picard in a new Star Trek series. I've only read that high that that headline. I haven't read any of the news stories. I don't know any of the background to this one, Steve. So for the rest of us out there that, that don't know anything about it, just quickly give us. What well, actually, uses. there was much more than that headline. He was at a Star Trek convention, I think it was last week, and he appeared to everyone's surprise and announced that they were, they're planning a new Star Trek series um, with Picard. So, obviously, they've got the current prequel series going on, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Um, I know that there's other... They've, they've got quite a few series in the works. I, I think Nicholas Meyer, who made Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, is supposed to be working on a series separately. I don't know what happened to that. But... Um, but yes, they're, they're doing a, a, a new series with Picard. Now, he's in his 70s, so I don't know how great this you, is going to be. Do you be. know what this reminded me of the moment I read this? Is that little, Sim- I mean, obviously the Simpsons, so on and so forth. But they do that Star Trek 12, so very tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the ship is drafty and cold. So no one but, listens but, to my complaints. The, the, way I, the way I'm reading this, and maybe this is just, just the way I, I, the spin I've put on it, but I get the feeling that this we're going to pick up with him, obviously, at the age he's at now, um, yeah. and not necessarily as still as the captain, Jean-Luc Picard. Because all he says is well, it picks up do, with Picard. Uh, so. Didn't they show what happened to them at the end of uh, yeah, they did the generations, series? Wasn't, yeah. he, like, wasn't he on a... All Good Things. Uh, yeah, he was a all, farmer. Well, yeah, all, things must, all, all Good Things. Where yeah. he's a vineyard, isn't he? He's a vineyard in France. So, so that's that's mad. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
He's got dementia or whatever, or, or that's what they think space it is. Space dementia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Space dementia, yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with so that one. Do you one. think this is an extend his, his um, Pat, Professor X character from Logan? <laughs> like old, demented, old man wandering around a field in France. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I might I... watch that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll tap into something in, in you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to field in Wiltshire in my case. Uh, yes, yeah, be interesting. As long as there's some crying, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It just sort of, to me, just smacks of like they don't know what they're doing. Nothing like, else what, is working. What, what can we? Out. What can we do? Well, who's still? We can't. Can we bring back Shatner? No, because he killed. Like, who's still alive in the timeline and alive in real life? I'm, uh, I'm surprised they didn't go with with uh, freaks. Because he's still around that, he's still around Star Trek well, and so on. Maybe so. he'll be in this. I mean, he's been maybe. doing so because bizarrely, hasn't he? He's been directing episodes of Discovery and episodes yeah. of The Orville. Yeah. And I saw the trailer for the second season of Discovery, and there's a bit at the end in the lift that I thought was a scene from The Orville. <laughs> it's like, hang on, we, what, what, what's going on here? But this, <laughs> this one with the aliens, first... alien sneezes, and you're like, that is straight out of The Orville. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this yeah. is further this further point that satire is at, in in the modern world. Satire is dead. News yes, now. Yes. news News now looks like brass eye, and it's Im- <laughs> it's impossible to sat. Yeah, ultimately, there is nothing weirder than what's actually happening. Yeah. So you can't do it anymore. Yeah. The, the moment when President Donald Trump entered the White House, satire went right out the window because <laughs> it's like, well, the real world is beyond <laughs> satire now because it's become its own. You know, it's it's become a joke. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you go from there? Where, where, yeah. How do you satirise that? You can't. You just can't. You have yeah. to give up. So, so let's swiftly change the subject. It'll be interesting to see how to, what they do with that. Um, right, so the Meg. We're, we're really excited about the Meg. Steve raised a question in the run order. What's our favourite aquatically-based thrillers? Well, if you're talking about the Meg and so on, I have to say Jaws. Jaws is, is yeah, still... Yeah, I, I should one have put there, right. and you can't count Jaws. Yeah. You should you should have because that's the first one. It's like no, no, you, you can't you can't beat Jaws. Um, so let's not even go there. Do they um, have to be fish based? It's just I, I, about I, I, the sea. Yeah. You can't do Jaws or any of its sequels. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's fine then because Jaws is a classic that you shouldn't be touching anyway. It's it's cinema history. Um, for me, I ha- I do have a soft spot, and I did a, an honest trailer about it this week, and I I absolutely laughed and laughed and laughed. Uh, Deep Blue Sea. It's it, it, it's one of these where the tongue is firmly in the cheek. It is so stupid um, yeah. and so out there, but I just love it. And I love Sam Jackson's character in it. I love the way they dispatch him. I love the, it's just it's good fun, and uh, I, I find that really entertaining. Um, and again, it's shark based. It was a, it was another one that just popped in my head. But um, yeah, that, that and uh, there's a. There's, I'm struggling with, with others. I'll, I'll listen to what other people have to say, and, and maybe it'll it will spur me on to remember. I needed to check. So, are we talking about stuff where it's man versus beast in the sea, or just stuff in the sea? No, it could be anything in the sea, really. Anything well, in, in that case, two, two clear guilty pleasure films: uh, Hunt for Red October, simply because Sean Connery being not a Russian <laughs> and, and, and giving mm. precisely no shits. About any, uh, you know, any part. Of I that. just love the scene where the camera zooms in in his mouth as he's speaking Russian, then pulls back and it's in English. <laughs> well, do you know what? They had to do something because otherwise yeah, it would have been a, ra- a rattling good read. But Corey won an Oscar for playing an Irish cop with a Scottish accent, so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that's that. that it, it's Sean Connery. Different rules apply. But I yeah. love the Hunt for October. I think it's a thoroughly, thoroughly entertaining. Now we see. Film. I think I think we've opened the floodgates exclusive ban here. Uh, if we're counting that, because I took it as in honor of the Meg, it had to be animals 
under the well, water. Yeah, you see, I don't watch animal, that many animals so. under the water thing. So uh, okay. the only one I'd give for that category, again, Be- because in deep, deep, deep blue sea versus the, the hunt for red October, you couldn't get two more different. Films. No, but they're both in the sea. <laughs> That's the one. That's what ties them together. If it has to be an animal one, I'm going to shout out for the film made on a budget of 15 quid, which is Deep Rising. Which is the uh, yes, I like Deep Rising. (laughs) That's going to be one Um, of my choices. (laughs) Well, there you go. I'll leave you to to to. to, No, no, no. Go on. You go. You do it. Go on. uh, Well, no. But uh, if again, if we're not dealing with pure animal things, another one that I it's a terrible film, but I do enjoy it is Ghost Ship. Um, yes. I just find that weirdly entertaining. And then also really pushing the boundaries of what counts as sea film, uh, North Sea Hijack with Roger Moore. It's just yeah. genius. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> bloody marvellous and stupid. I mean, dumber than a box of rocks, but what a great film. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I've tested that to, to destruction. But Ghost, Ghost Ship is a weird... I, I don't normally like films of that nature, but I admire the fact that they were quite... You know, it's like... How are we going to liven this up? We, how are we going to get female nudity into a film where it's basically people pottering around a deserted ship? Leave it with me. I'll work it out. And pound oh, If you want to do, I love the scene. In, is it in in um, Deep Blue Sea where they, she, in order to not be electrocuted, she has to take off her wetsuit to stand on it and therefore get her into a bra and knickers. <laughs> basically, really gratuitous. <laughs> it's like, yeah. How do we? How do we do that? So yeah, that, that those would be 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 my choices. Um, I, I, I found the sea to be more compelling as a human interesting with machinery than against animals. I mean, in the same way that Das Boot is that that's a genuinely awesome piece of piece of uh, cinema. Um, uh, it just I, but uh, and the sea is as much an adversary as, as anything else. I think that's great. If, if, if you're looking for um, good sea based movies rather than guilty pleasures. Um, well, Steve's already mentioned the abyss, so I'll be in his list, no doubt. It would have, yeah, I won't mention it, it a second it, time, it, but yes, it, yeah, it is, is in the list. It's only two. I can I, think I, of. I, no, I, I enjoy U U five seven one. If you're talking no, about that's submarine, ter- that's terrible though. <laughs> I know it's historically cobblers, but yeah. I do enjoy it. Yeah. Would, um, would, would Titanic count? I mean, it's on the ocean. Titanic's a ship-based thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Razor, Razor Titanic. Now there's a cracker. <laughs> that, but, the, yeah, but that's that's another one where it's it's bad, and as a result of it being bad, it's actually quite good. Yeah, and another one for uh, it's just popped in my head because I'm thinking. George Clooney must have made something uh, aquatically based. Uh, Perfect Storm. You remember yeah. that? George Clooney. Actually, now that is that's a prop, and uh, that is actually you know obviously uh, you know notwithstanding it's it's based on truth. But that, if you like, that's interesting because it turns the sea into the the yeah. the creature. Yeah. And that's, the that's sea, there are two. There are predominantly two types of films set at sea. You've got the ones that use the water itself to instill fear. So the the water's kind of a character, as it is kind of in Jaws itself. And then you've got those that kind of just use it as a tool to isolate everyone. So it, it's, you know, stuff like Triangle and things like that. It's it's essentially a bit like, uh, you know, in the old Agatha Christie um, stories where, like, they'd go off to an island and then it'd be cut off. It's just a way to completely cut off. The, yeah, it, yeah, but ways to just cut off all your characters from anything that happens, you know, in the same way that kind of, all films now have to have a conceit about why mobile phones don't work. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, if, if we're going guilty pleasures, then can I just say, uh, under siege? Oh yes. If, <laughs> if under one. siege is wrong, I don't want to be right. Again, how do we, it's, it's a ship truck full of men. How do we get nudity in? Hold my beer. <laughs> I know <laughs> that was the thing. 
you can tell someone's just ticked a box there. How on earth are we going to do this? Isn't she yeah. a cake or something? Isn't that how she yes. get off yes. the ship? Yeah. <laughs> and um and, and and let's face it, any film. I mean, you've got see, the many faces to which they are two of Steven Seagal. Um, uh, but then you know it's like, well, we need we need someone who's going to choose some scenery. Hello, is that Gary Boosie? Um, and yeah, <laughs> ma- making full use of him. Uh, and that was possibly his last role before he really disappeared off the end of batshit insanity. But the <laughs> weird, yeah, the weird thing is, is that if if you see, yeah, Gary Boosie now. He's madder than the character in Under Siege. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's, he's method acting his yeah. way into... Uh, that was his yes. understated performance. <laughs> <laughs> and, Tommy, and Tommy Lee Jones, who's clearly realised about 15 minutes into filming that this is not going to be, you know, not going <laughs> to be his finest. So it's like, do you know what? I'm, go- I'm going all in. Hot, put my tie-dye t-shirt on i'm wearing a bandana and i'm just going to ham it like a factory a gammon factory and yeah that's i i agree with you under siege um i mean, i don't know i find because of the absurdity of its premise i in some ways enjoy under siege 2 even more but obviously okay. there's very there's very little c in that so um yeah no I, I like i like under siege 2 purely because you're left going how wide is a train, though? How's he going to hide on this? You know, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a very weird one. That <laughs> it's, um, yes, but obviously, it's a Steven Seagal film. The finer points of um, of, of uh, reality and plot aren't have clearly never been a huge concern to him. So, uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, all good. So, so you mentioned that, like the the different uses of the water and, and uh, water world immediately came to mind so sorry for interrupting you there Mark it just it popped in my head and I said it at the same time but um, did that not sink a studio very closely sink a studio no Steve, actually it? It's, um, it did cost a lot of money but it, it actually um, it did it did quite well box box office it wasn't the big bomb everyone right, okay. claimed it was at the time although it did cost a lot of money mainly because the water the, the main set sank Yes, so they had to build it twice. Yeah, yeah. That didn't help, and obviously yeah. they discovered they should have asked Spielberg this question because they could have given them the answer. It was the same studio; they should have known better. But Universal should have said, "You know, actually shooting on water really difficult because <laughs> <laughs> the elements just turn on you." They, a, they got hit by I think they got hit by a hurricane, which is what sank the set. They were shooting off of uh, Hawaii, um, but yeah, uh, shooting on water is never yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, and um, re- I mean, it seems to be a, pe- a pattern here because I mean, Raise the Titanic did in for its studio. I mean, didn't they, wouldn't one of the people who'd lost a bus? That was Lou Gray. Lou Gray lost his shirt on that one. Yeah, he, so wouldn't it have been? He, he famously been... said it would have been cheaper to lower the Atlantic, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. uh, a, a fine quote. Interestingly, Raise the Titanic. The Lee character in the story is that Clive Cussler, yes. Dirk, Dirk, Dirk Pitt. Dirk Pitt. Now he is also the lead character in another film that lost a bucket load of Sahara. money. Sahara, one of the biggest money losers twice. of all time. So don't make films with Dirk Pitt is obviously the solution there. Uh, <laughs> the Clive Custler books are the McDonald's of action fiction. They are terrible, but they are incredibly Moorish. I have read every single one of them. I make no bones <laughs> to that. Um, uh, it's interesting that yes, actually Custler is blacklisted by whom? Studios <laughs> over over Sahara. Um, so, but he is also extremely old, and I have every suspicion that the moment that he carks it, someone will try again. And he's also 
created another character who set more turn of the 20th century called Isaac Bell. Someone's going to have a crack at that because actually those are quite engaging engaging works because they've been co-written by someone who understands plot and continuity so they're, they're quite quite nice books i'm uh, afraid i know too much about clive customer you do you do <laughs> it's slightly stressing uh my choices would be let me think so i'm going sh- sh- shark based films there's, there's a film called shark night which i quite enjoyed um the clue is in the title and also a film called bait which is brilliant it's the one where there's a flood and there's a load of sharks stuck in a flooded uh, supermarket. <laughs> people stuck in the supermarket with them. Yeah. Brilliant. If you haven't seen it, it's an Aussie film called Bait. Uh, check it out. It's I'm very su- funny. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned Sharknado. Uh, I've never seen Sharknado. And no, no, so they're yeah. not in the sea. They have escaped the sea and into the NATO. So, um, yes, exactly. Uh, it has to be mentioned that I'm surprised because I, I don't write, it's not my cup of tea at all, but I know it's actually quite a good film. Is that Blake Lively one? Uh, oh, yes, that's really good. Um, yes, The Shallows is excellent. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Really enjoyed that. A uh, uh, bit silly towards the end, but for the majority of it, it's a really mm. tight little 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 thriller worth checking out. Um, Poseidon Adventure, got to mention that. Um, the original, not the yeah, yeah, remake. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and let me think. So there's that. Um, you've done Waterworld. What, what about Tom, Han- Tom Hanks? He'll, he'll have done uh, something, will he not? Well, stuck on an island, but does that really count? Oh, oh, Captain, Captain Phillips. Phillips. Captain yes. Phillips, yeah. Phillips, yes. Yeah, but, that, but again, the sea is incidental to that. <laughs> yeah, I would suggest. So, yeah. so I, oh, Splash. I've never seen it. Uh, there's a couple. There's a couple of knockoff films that were made to try and cash in on the abyss before the abyss came out, called Deep Star Six and Leviathan, which are worth now. Levi- Leviathan is so bad, it's great. Yeah, it's really bad. Again, it's been done on a budget of seventy-five pence. Actually, Leviathan wasn't that cheap, but it was really bad. <laughs> but, but so bad, it's good. It's up there with Deep, deep Rising as one of my sort of guilty pleasures. Yeah, I think that's enough aquatic films, isn't it, for one week? Yeah, yeah I, think, I, I, think, I think we've done quite well there. Deep Rising's worth it. I mean, Fam- Famicky Anson, what a lady. Mm. <laughs> okay. And she's, 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 never, she's never had a problem with appearing in objectively terrible films. She's just quite content to, to just like, is there money there? Yeah, fine. Off we go. She also yeah. seems to be the Lucy Liu school, Liu school of never seems to age. Extremely well. So, yeah. yes. Okay. So, just to, to wrap up on that one, I put water based movies into IMDb. It only brought back 35 titles. Um, because I think it's just a list created by somebody on there and I've just been through that just to see and quite a few of ours have popped up on this list um, but others of interest might have been Crimson Tide oh yes Crimson Tide Tony, Tony Scott Tony submarine. Um, it's got Edge of a Tomorrow in here but I don't remember that being set on water I don't know why that's what the ghost ship's mm, mentioned well it's a beach landing Saving Private Ryan an aquatic film then is it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and as you can imagine, there's loads of Pirates of the Caribbean films in there. Poseidon, oh, yeah. Poseidon rather than Poseidon Adventure, really? Okay. Uh, the beach? No, that, that's set on the beach, not in the water. Uh, it does involve a shark, though, doesn't it, the beach? So It does, yeah, it does. And there's a lot What of... was the Peter... What was it? Does anyone remember there was a kind of, like, made-for-TV, like, based on a Peter Benchley one where a shark gets legs? Um, <laughs> I think, did, you, did you have too much cheese and biscuits there, Mr. Bottle? I can't the, the the deep that's Peter Bench, isn't it? The deep. Yeah, but that didn't With, have, um, that did have shark legs. No, it involved the congreal. It was it was yeah. It came out and everyone went to go and see it and thought, hang on a minute, there's no sharks in this. It's just yeah. a congreal and some bird in a wet t-shirt. Yeah, and that was the reason <laughs> everyone went to go and see the deep. 
And then there was the island with Michael Caine, which was even worse. And the paycheck gig for Michael. Uh, as well as Jaws 4. Oh, well, like you said, that paper swimming pool. So there is a Any band go? called Shark Legs. I'm, I'm sure this wasn't a fever dream. I am. I'm really intrigued with this now, Mark. So, what did it? Did it get out of the ocean and walk around, or what? The, yeah, it was like they were genetically engineering sharks, a bit like kind of deep blue sea. Piece of from 1998. Yep, yeah, sounds like it. And there's, a, there's there should be a picture of a of it's a shark a TV, with legs. A TV mini series. Ah, right. If we find a picture of a shark with legs, that's the image that's going on. <laughs> Than on the uh, thread, isn't it, Phil? Uh, I've got to say, since we talk about uh, films, Philly films, but Piranha, oh, uh, yeah. Dante's oh, yeah. 78 film, and Piranha 2 The Flying Terror, yeah, but... the first film directed by a certain James Cameron. <laughs> yes, you're right. But was that I've not... just got on Blu ray. <laughs> uh, was that not river based, though? Uh, no, no, that was at, uh, both of them took place. Um, although you're absolutely right, <laughs> I think Piranha are freshwater fish, aren't yeah. they? Or maybe, yeah. can they be both? Um, but uh, I'm sure the Piranha and Piranha 2 do take place. Was Piranha 2 definitely takes place on the sea. Piranha 2, so, I can't remember now. There may have been a, a, more of a river thing, a water world kind of thing, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, surely, uh, just uh, if we're doing doing the uh, image from the podcast, I, I was assuming it was going to be a middle-aged man weeping in front of a television. But, um, <laughs> but I have found a 1,200 pixels wide still from Creature, which I just dropped in, <laughs> which I've just dropped into the uh, um, the <laughs> box on, on Skype for Phil's delectation. Uh, okay, it's p- a possible. So there you go. Okay, you know, I'm I'm conscientious like that. What can I say? So on that sharks with legs, and this one's actually got arms as well. So it's yeah. not just legs; there's actually arms. Uh, that's it for the podcast this week. I think we've we've done enough damage. Uh, my <laughs> thanks to Steve Withers. I want the head of the snake. Ed Setley. I don't have a lot of time, which means you don't have any. And Mark Burry. He saw himself in the fish. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews, news and videos, and of course leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Yeah.